Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What is the price tag of USF's football stadium? And how will that change the campus life and things in general for the football program? talk about the ACC's future with Florida State, Miami, and others, as well as Baker Mayfield was almost a Florida Atlantic owl. We've got all of that and more to talk about with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, who covers all things college sports. He'll join us in just a minute. First, as you know, this podcast is sponsored by May Electric Solar. I want to tell you how to save money on your electric bill. May Electric is a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems in the area for 13 years. There's a lot of these companies out there, fly-by-night, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. How long? Well, they guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That's what they're calling the main difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can actually see what they're going to install to customize it to your needs. Plus, they don't use subcontractors, and that's important. You see who's exactly doing the job. Those are Billy Mays guys up there. Start saving right now today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long. And preserve the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, we got some college football to talk about. And more importantly, the future, in the near future perhaps, of USF, their football stadium. And to do that, we join Matt Baker uh, with us now. Matt, you've written about uh, this pursuit and construction, and it, it really does seem to become real when there are there is money attached <laughs> and actual dollar figures um, and how much how much they need to raise. We'll get into uh, more about the, the, the plans of the stadium and why that's important. Um, but you wrote a story ab- about the financing. It looks like we have a number. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me on, Rick. We finally have a number. I've only been asking for 20 months, <laughs> I mean, more than 20 months. Uh, it's everything is, is fancy, you know, everything is nice and pie in the sky, but you know, there's a saying money talks and you know what walks. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we have finally have a number. Um, the initial budget is $340 million for this project. And that's in the range of what I thought, you know, I'd kind of figure 200 to 400 somewhere in there. Right, um, right. But the, the initial estimate is 340. And just to kind of put that in perspective, the plan would be, and this, let me just be clear, this is what um, is going to go to the Board of Trustees Virtual Finance Committee meeting on Tuesday. I, get your coffee ready for that one. It's going to be a real uh, hootenanny. Um, so the, the $340 million that the plan would be for the school to pay for $140 million of it, and we can break that down if you want, but then two hundred. Uh, million would be from financing. So that would mean borrowing $200 million and paying it back over 20 years at 5.5% interest rate. 
Um, again, this is something that has been, you know, it, it, until it's until there's money, until there's a price tag, it didn't necessarily feel real. But now there's at least something that, you know, pretty soon we're going to be able to look at and say, okay, this is what it might cost. Um, I guess just the real other quick caveats I, I, I want to make here. Um, again, this is what's going to go before the finance committee. The finance committee will then vote to approve it or not. And then if that's done, it'll go to the full board of trustees June 13th at their next regular scheduled meeting. And then that if that's approved, then it's full go. Um, with the caveat that the price tag can change. Um, the, the design build group of Populous and Bar Martin, Barton Mallow, excuse me, they're working on putting everything on paper and this is what this deal will cost and all that type of stuff. And they're going to come out, come back in uh, next spring, next summer, somewhere in that range um, to kind of figure out, okay, this is the guaranteed maximum price. We will not charge you more than X. And until that's done, we don't know what X is, but 340 is at least a starting point. And that's, um, and I thought it was interesting. I was reading through like what, you know, some of the recent stadiums and, and when I say recent, I mean, you know, Colorado state, Canvas Stadium opened in 2017, but but when you when you compare to the to those, um, it is in that range that you said somewhere between 200, 250, 400 million. Um, but I thought it was interesting the way they compare, and and a lot of it too. And we will get into the to the actual bells and whistles when when they get to them. But a, a lot of it has to do, um, sort of how they how do they finance this, right? Like what. What is the financing breakdown? And and I thought you you went through it here pretty well. Uh, as far as there's 140 million that's going to come from the school, which is interesting. Correct. So let's break that down for a second. Hang with me, listener. Hang with me. Yes, so math. I know we don't do math. I know. Well, and it's it's hard. You know, I need to see these numbers for me to figure things out. That's how my poor brain works. Um, so 50 million dollars comes from fundraising. That's the USF Foundation. Um, right. So, so that's going to be 50. And the, the expectation is that let's say the, the design bill group comes back and says, OK, we can get you everything we want, everything that you want, but it's going to be three hundred and sixty million dollars. Well, in that case, fundraising the, the USF Foundation, they're probably going to have to cover the difference between the three sixty and three forty. OK, if that yeah. makes sense. So uh, 50 million dollars from the fundraising. Thirty one million dollars is from the Capital Improvement Trust Fund. Rick, I know you're you're very well acquainted with it, but but for those I'm of our not. listeners who are not, um, that's basically student fees um, that uh, you know okay. students pay x number of dollars per credit hour, whatever it is, and then the student right. government can kind of vote on how do we want to use that money, and, I, and they have to okay. get approval by other bodies as well. But um, that's what's gonna um, that's what's building or built the uh, student wellness center that that's just either opening or just about to open. Um, as one example. So that's $31 million. $34 million is coming from uh, auxiliary funds and proceeds from some broadband equipment they sold a few years ago. And then $25 million is coming from these uh, broadband licenses that they expect to sell uh, here later this year. So that's kind of where that 140 is coming from. And, and I should notice, it, I think this is important. As of now, my understanding is that your tax dollars, my tax dollars, none of our money is going toward this project. That could change, but in the initial plan, that's what's out there. You, you talk to the builder, and there's a, there's a separate story on TampaBay.com and Tampa Bay Times about that. It's kind of a Q&A. Um, 
these are huge projects, right? Like, I mean, even when you have the land, the permits, all this stuff, like they, they take time. And the timeline has been they'd like to have this hit, you know, by the 2026, which, which doesn't seem that far away to me. Maybe it does to other people, but my years seem to whirl by a little faster than some. Um, what, may, what gives them the, 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 the confidence, I guess, that they can, they can reach that? So um, I asked that question to a guy named Lynn Moser. He is the vice president of sports at Barton Mallow. That's a construction company. He's headquartered over in Orlando, but they got an office in Tampa and all sorts of places. And he has built and renovated a bunch of stadiums over the years. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is Exploria Stadium. That's the soccer stadium over in Orlando. Um, he's done all sorts of other work as well, renovating Penn State, Notre Dame, that type of stuff. So I asked him, how, how, what gives you the confidence that you can get this done? Because it is an aggressive timeline is the word that USF has used. But he said, you know what? Well, we've done this before. We know what it takes. We know that the time it takes for construction. We know the, the time it takes to get all the parts. And, and the fact is, you know, there's some money that USF is, is putting enough money into this where we think the timeline of building it uh, and opening it for the 2026 season is feasible. And, and not only that, if you look at the the, the contract between USF and this design build team with, with Barton, Barton Mallow and Populous and some other partners as well, USF would be owed $2 million for every game in 2026 that the stadium is not ready if all oh, of this boy. stuff goes through. Mm. So there, there's kind of the, the design build group is putting its money where its mouth is on this in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, being a, being very confident in, in that they can do it. And, and, and one other thing just on the, um, on the timeline and what was said in the board of trustees kind of the documents, they're expecting construction to start in October of this year, which surprised mm. me, but I think there's probably mm. some stuff that can be done in terms of, I mean, just the really, really boring stuff, leveling yeah. the land, you know, that type of stuff. Somebody, sure, um, sure. I don't know if sewers need to be redone, but just the, the really boring background work before you can dirt. actually start yeah. getting, yeah, moving the dirt around before you can start putting cranes in what have mm -hmm. you so that's kind of one of the other parts of the timeline coming up too wow that's fascinating um it, i think we think of this and, and rightfully so as a football stadium right mm -hmm. but but there are they look at it as multi-purpose the construction of these have changed in terms of you know it used to be hey cram as many seats as you can in here and let's go um just talk about just what what will change right with respect to the entire program, the athletic program, the campus life, if you will. Yeah, so there's a couple of things. Let's start with the athletic part, where obviously your football stadium is on campus. You don't have, you know, students don't have to drive to the games or take a bus right. or whatever it is. They can they can walk across campus and boom, there it is. Um, mm -hmm. It's I think there, there's definitely something in terms of just the feel of it, right? Where yeah. um, maybe it's a Thursday night game and and people are starting to tailgate or you're walking to class and you hear noise from like that type of stuff is, is something that doesn't happen now. Um, so I do think there's a, a you know, I, I buy the idea that it's going to increase student involvement. And if they're involved now, they're more likely to be involved later as they become alumni and, and then some of them successful with money to throw around when, when they're, when they're older. So that's one part. Um, another part is the football operations component to this where, um, the expectation certainly, and, and again, all this stuff is still being worked out, but the expectation is that there's going to be some sort of um, football operations facility 
building something with this project. And a lot of other schools have done it as well. Colorado State was one um, where they can just build out part of the stadium or put it right next to it, a, a building for the football team to do their day-to-day stuff. Meetings, uh, uh, training facility, you know, trainers, uh, nutrition, all that type of stuff where it's all very close and connected, where you can go straight from the locker room, you go north to the stadium on game day, you go south into the indoor practice facility for your Tuesday morning workout, like that type of stuff. Um, so those are kind of the main athletic parts. But the other part of this is is how it's going to be used by other people. It's not a situation where, like you said, where it's going to host six or seven football games a year. Maybe there's a bowl game. It's going to host however many lacrosse games, maybe a lacrosse Final Four, and that's it. No, there's going to be a lot more than that. Um, I don't know what all that will be yet. That's still being determined. Um, but you look at some schools, uh, Colorado State being one, where they have classes in it. So you could have your class in the football stadium. Um, maybe like the hospitality uh, program at USF, maybe they have some classes there. Maybe there's some internship opportunities with that. Um, another idea is, is maybe there's a, a restaurant or, or something like that that's open year round where you want to have a power lunch. Hey, let's have our power lunch over at the USF football stadium and look out at the beautiful grass while we talk about whatever business deal we're trying to close. Those type of things. Colorado State has a, an alumni center. So there's going to be those type of components to it. I, I, I don't know what those components are because they have not yet been finalized to my knowledge. But that's the type of stuff that the multi-use stuff that's going to happen with the stadium. To, and, and that's why they say it's, it's transformational. And when they talk about it, they talk about it with a lot more than just the football aspect. And, and that's kind of the reason why. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's fascinating. I, I I think it's going to change a lot of things over there, and and I look forward to see if, if they can actually stay on schedule with that. But I, I it's going to be great. I think, and of course, winning helps. And and I think that was the other point that that was made. Um, if you can start to to turn a corner there, let's talk about the future of the ACC because this was something that came up a couple of weeks ago, and really, um, I guess it was the Florida State Athletic Director uh, Michael Offord that kind of brought it up before the school's board of trustees. And I, I know they're thinking about this, but with the amount of payouts that are going to be made in the upcoming TV contracts for the SEC, uh, the Big Ten, uh, their new deal is expected to, I guess, pass around about $80 million per team, $70 million or so for the SEC. So how does the ACC compete with this? How, how, how much of a disadvantage or potential disadvantage are teams like Florida State, Miami, and, and, and Clemson, for that matter, Will they be looking to join other conferences soon? Because maybe the ACC just can't can't keep up. Yeah. So I mean, that's. I don't think it's too far to say that's an existential question for for Florida State and Clemson and and Miami and a couple others. Um, yeah. Just because it is so. Look, you you can make up a five million dollar deficit. You can you can money ball sure. your way around that. You know, we don't need sure. those extra analysts. We don't need that waterfall mm-hmm. in our locker room. Like. There's ways you can get around that. But when it starts to be 10, 20, 30 million dollars, that is enormous. And, and I don't yet know how all that's how that's going to show up. Um, there's only so many there's only so much you can do with, with your locker room, right? Like you're gonna mm-hmm. make it even bigger? I mean, are, are you gonna add new bells and whistles? Probably not at a certain point. Uh you can only have so many people in your building, right? You can keep adding analysts and analysts. Eventually you reach a point of diminishing returns. Right. Maybe it's going to show up in terms of uh, 
just how much they're paying coaches where, you know, here's an example I've thrown out in the past, but are we going to see a situation where the head coach at Purdue and Mississippi state makes not just more, but significantly more than the head coach at Miami or Florida state? What about, what if I'm choosing between being the head coach at um, Vanderbilt or the offensive coordinator at Florida state? Like, these type of things matter, or just an assistant at Florida State versus the, the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt. These types of things are going to show up in a way that they, you know, there's always, football's always been have and have nots, but the haves are becoming bigger and the have nots are becoming more have nots. And that's going to show up. It's going to be a significant factor in the next couple of years. And um, there's not a good way to fix the gap. Uh, because Florida State and I mean the ACC is locked into this um, financial, you know, they're, they're locked in this contract through twenty thirty six. There, there is one way to to try to fix, and that's this unequal revenue sharing idea that's been thrown around. Mm. I, I've got a, I've got an example for you, Rick. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay, hang with me, listener. We I got a point here. Um, Rick, we've worked together for a while, right? A little bit, yeah. Good number of okay. years. You, you think I'm generally do a good job? You, you like working with me? Well, absolutely. You're you're the dean of college sports in general for us, as well as motorsports. Sure. Fantastic. You're you're a great improv partner. Okay, so I got a problem. My problem is that my homeowner's insurance premium just doubled. So <laughs> I'm not sure I can stick around in Florida for the long term. So I might have to look elsewhere. That, that's 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 quite a problem, and um, you know, there's not money in the budget for for a big raise from the times that that's locked and, and what have you. But I have a solution. And so, so you you appreciate me as a colleague. You just you just said so yourself. Sure. How about how about you give me fifty dollars a paycheck, and you give me fifty dollars a paycheck, I will be able to help close my homeowner's insurance gap. It's not going to be perfect. You know, I could still. Have more money if I went to Texas or, or Oklahoma or Michigan or whatever it is, but it'll be better, and I will be happier. And no, I, I, before you before you start giving me your money, which I, I appreciate, I should be clear: this is not going to be perfect, and I still might leave the times. I still might pack my bags and go, because you know I, mm. I could go later. But I would be happy and really appreciate it if you gave me that fifty dollars a paycheck. So I, I've got a pin ready. Are you ready to give me the routing number on your bank account? Well, not on the podcast, but I got to be honest with you, Matt. I think, I think the way you presented that, you'd have to at least consider it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're talking applying this to college football, maybe. You know, I mean, because so, a brand is a brand. I mean, I, I, what is the ACC if they lose the Florida States, the Miamis, and the Clemsons, especially? Well, that then they're Boston College and Syracuse, and and. And Which Pitt. is a very lesser conference that TVs probably aren't going to pay a ton of money to. Correct. But here's the issue. In, in my scenario, I could leave anytime. I'm not under contract. Um, but right. Florida State and Clemson are under contract through 2036. Mm. So in our scenario, okay. I have a no-compete clause, which means I can't leave. And if I do try to leave, maybe I can legal, you know, get some attorneys to legal out. fine or something involved, yeah. Yeah, but if I'm wrong... I would lose my house if Florida mm. state and Clemson are wrong in this scenario and they're trying mm. to break this ironclad grant of rights 
first of all, it would cost $120 million to leave. And then if they can't get out of the grant of rights, we're talking $300 million, $500 million, oh boy. an wow. enormous, enormous amount of money. So that's what's at stake for them. And mm. again, even if, even if Boston College says, you know what, we'll give you some of our money. And Pitt says, okay, we'll, we'll, we're okay with this. We're, we're we'll give you some for of some, our money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, what happens in 2036, or as, as the, the, the amount that Florida State and Clemson would lose goes down, they're not, why would you stick around, right? Like, I, I don't think anybody expects Florida State and Clemson and, and North Carolina and Virginia and Miami and a couple others. I don't think people expect them to be in the ACC in 2036. So you're talking mm-hmm. about giving up money now so that they will maybe stay, even though they probably won't, because they'll probably get an offer from the Big Ten or SEC. And also, you know, in our analogy, let's say you're retiring in five years or 10 years, right? We're like, what do you care what happens in 2036? You're not going to be here. Your job is to get as much money for your school while you can so you can keep your bosses happy and maybe move on to a different job at Athletic or ESPN, whatever we're talking about in this this analogy. So Mm. that's kind of the issue here is they're trying to convince people to give them more money with no idea that they're going to stick around, and it's clearly not in their best interest to do so. And and even if they do, it's not closing the gap entirely. They're not going to get Boston College and Pitt and whoever to pay $30 million a year. Maybe it'll be five or ten. And sure. five or ten will buy you a lot of stuff, but then they're still down ten or twenty million dollars from what Michigan's getting and Michigan State and Florida and Georgia. So maybe that closes the gap, but I don't know if it closes it enough to make it all work out in the end, if that makes sense. And I mean, the way college football is structured these days, I mean it's undeniable that that kind of a financial disadvantage is going to play itself out on the field, correct? I mean, how would it not? Yes. And the other factor in here we haven't talked about yet is NIL slash paying players. There right? you go. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the big thing in here because NIL is a thing. Uh, there's already mm-hmm. have and have nots in NIL. And, you know, Florida State, I think, has actually done quite well with, with NIL in terms of, uh, you know, the battles in, in particular, that collective keeping, helping keep Jordan Travis and Jared Verse and those yeah. guys around. Mm-hmm. Um. But what happens in a couple of years if the gap grows and Florida right. State is having to use steer money in different ways um, that 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 uh, Georgia doesn't have to? Or sure. let's go the other, you know, keep going down this road. A lot of people in College Sports Inc., myself included, think that at some point schools are going to be paying players um, directly, and mm-hmm. may- maybe it's not the schools, maybe it's the athletic department or Florida Gators LL Florida Gators football LLC or you know there's different ways to do this but I think a lot of people expect players to get paid more than a couple thousand dollars or stipend from the schools all right well Mm -hmm. if that happens and Georgia had I'm just making up numbers Georgia has a salary pool of 20 million dollars and Florida State has a salary pool of 10 million dollars Okay, well, that's a pretty substantial difference. So that's another way that this quite possibly could work out um, in a way that's kind of hard for us to predict as we sit here now. But that's a very realistic possibility that is going to put the Knowles and the Canes and and Clemson and, and North Carolina at a competitive disadvantage. 
Well, uh, it may not be a disadvantage yet, but there will be, this is a way, maybe a way too early, um, and I'm not looking for a breakdown of this game necessarily, but we do know that Florida State's going to play LSU in Orlando to kick off the college football season. What do you make of that? <laughs> I'm excited for that one in, in, in Orlando. You know, I, I wasn't able to go to the one in New Orleans last year, but right. this one in or- this one in Orlando is going to be a doozy. I mean, I, look, I, I I'm not saying LSU is going to win the SEC, but I do know that I would not be surprised at all if they won the West again. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Florida State, I've, I've said this for a bit now. You know, I think they're going to win the ACC, and you know. They're going to enter the last season or last week of the college football season in that college football playoff discussion. So you've got mm. two probably top ten, certainly top fifteen teams meeting at a neutral site. I mean, that's the biggest game Florida State's been in since. I mean, off the top of my head, probably the twenty seventeen uh, opener in Atlanta against Bama, where it was two and three mm. or one and three in the country, whatever that was, and that was a mm-hmm. not an. Not the best game for the Knowles. That's kind of where things started to fall apart. But that's the kind of stakes that we'll see here. And let's be clear, either team could, you know, one team's going to lose and they're not going to be out at the playoff picture by any means. Um, sure. But it's going to be a pretty darn big matchup that weekend. Uh, it could be a launching pad for for Florida State for sure, or one of those teams. And uh, both of them have dudes, as you like to say. They do um, have dudes. So- should be entertaining and you'll be there down the road. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month. Over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, uh, I, I need to bring this up. There's, there's a couple NFL slash college things I wanted to talk about with you um, because you, you know these players. And you wrote a story about our good friend Baker Mayfield, who I don't know if people, you know, since, well, since he's kind of new to the Tampa Bay Bucks fans. I mean, he's been around forever, and this is his fourth team since last July in the NFL, if you've been following the bouncing Baker. Um, but uh, you don't just get to be the number one overall pick and a Heisman Trophy winner without knowing, without without people not knowing about you when you came out of high school. Sure. Uh, and I'm fascinated because I've read this story and written por- portions of it uh, that somehow, even though he was successful in high school, because of his size, perhaps that's that's certainly a factor. There just wasn't a lot of big Division One teams beating down his door, and in fact, you wrote a story. One of the teams that really had a legit chance for him was Florida Atlantic. Yeah, so you know when when Baker came, I you know just a, an excuse to to look at new stuff or, or look at things with a different set of eyes, and I remember looking at his recruiting profile or whatever it was and seeing FAU was one of the only three to five schools to offer him a scholarship, depending on who you ask and, and what you look at. Um, so I was like, I got to know the story here. How on earth was FAU one of the schools to, to offer him? So I, I reached out to uh, a guy, Brian Wright. He's a now, now the head coach at Pittsburgh state, Rick mascot of Pittsburgh state. You know that one? Uh, the Steelman. I don't know. Uh, they're the gorillas. 
which is an awesome okay, mascot. Yeah, that's we need pretty more cool. Actually, yeah, they're, yeah. In, they're in they're in Kansas. Um, so uh, anyway, he's the head coach of Pittsburgh State. He was the OC for the Owls at the time, and I, I asked him the story. So the story is um, there's a guy Kerry Dixon who ended up. Uh, be an assistant for the Gators, among other teams. And he's from Texas, recruited Texas, and just kind of plops the Baker Mayfield film on uh, Wright's desk one day. And you know, uh, Brian said, I, I watched it more than any other recruit I've ever seen. Just like, hmm. is there something there with this guy? Is there something there? What am I missing? Uh, what are other people missing? And then when he watched, you know, kept watching it, he really liked what he saw and asked Kerry, like, do we have a shot at this guy? And he said, absolutely. So they recruited the heck out of him. Uh, you know, uh, Wright was telling me he went out to visit him in Texas a couple of times. And at, at one point, they thought they were going to get him you know, to the point where Baker asked, hey, if I go to FAU, will you take one of my buddies as a walk-on? And <laughs> Wright was like, yes, absolutely. Does that mean you're coming? <laughs> and, and, you know, B- Baker didn't quite, uh, didn't quite give a yes. And then things kind of wavered and he, he decided to do the whole bet on yourself thing and walked on at Texas tech and then walked on at OU and became a, you know, obviously a fantastic, fantastic player and Heisman number one pick, all, all that type of stuff. You know, the story from there, but I thought it was interesting just to hear that side. And because you saw the arm strength, you saw the, the, the leadership, the, the moxie, um, the mobility, toughness, the fact that he was a winner, won a state title as a junior, all that stuff, it, you know, Florida Atlantic saw, and for whatever reason, size being number one, other schools didn't, and they ended up missing out. Six foot five, eight of an inch tall, and I can stood next to him. He's legit, almost six one. Um, so, as as legend has it, or the, it's actually been written about and well documented, Baker Mayfield was deciding just that between FAU, and it turns out, again, depending on who you believe, but Baker is basically quoted as saying it was FAU or Washington State. And there was a a huge argument, fight, if you will, between him and his dad um, mm-hmm. because they got to the point where they had to make a decision and his dad asked him, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I've got to take one of these offers and I'm looking at Florida Atlantic and Washington State. And his dad was not happy with that decision. And he said, why? He says, because that's what I have. That Those are the, off- those are the offers, the best, the best situations for me. And he goes, why won't you bet on yourself? You've always bet on yourself, you know. Walk on at Texas Tech if that's what if you think you can play at that level, you know. Go ahead, and of course, the rest is college football and now NFL history. But it really did come down. I think I think the Owls were definitely definitely in it, which is fascinating to think about now. It's so also it's fascinating. Story. Sorry, just to to think on the other yeah. side for a second. Baker Mayfield in a Mike Leach offense at Washington oh. State, right? Oh. Like, oh. you know, he. Leach has had some good quarterbacks and solid quarterbacks over the over the years. Obviously, had sure. Gardner Minshew at Washington State was was one, but um, what would he have done with <laughs> number one pick, oh. a Heisman talent? Like uh. that would have been fantastic to watch. Or you know, maybe Baker would have stunk out there. The system would I don't know who who, who the heck knows. But that's a fantastic uh, hypothetical. What if? I love the what if stories, and and I also love the fact that you said a word that has been used for Baker, especially around here, uh, by Bruce Arians in particular and others. Moxie, moxie oh, is a yeah. word we don't use enough. So anytime he, you can get moxie in there, that that's a great thing. 
Speaking of Moxie, I don't know if he has it, but uh, I, it's been a couple of weeks now since the NFL draft, but I do want to get your take because you did write about him. And now I read about him every day, uh, the former Florida quarterback, Anthony Richardson. What did you think about where he was drafted? And I mean in terms of, you know, the number. Uh, and as he goes to Indianapolis, Matt, it looks for all the world, and this is just maybe the finances of the NFL and and perhaps what that coaching staff that came from Philadelphia thinks they can do with him as they did with Jalen Hurts. What do you think about the prospects of him starting being the QB1 right off the bat? Well, I don't like that, first of all, um, just because mm-hmm. I think he needs time. I buy the argument. I mean, I understand the argument that the way to get better is to play. You're not going to get better until you get those reps. I, I completely understand that argument. Right. But I also think if he goes out and gets his brains beat in because he's, he's not making the decisions fast enough or, or you know the line's not good enough or, or whatever the case may be, there's a definite harm that can happen. Um, I, I saw it at the college level. You know, Felipe Franks is the one that comes to mind. Um, sure. Dan, you know, Dan Mullen said this and, and Felipe kind of sort of agreed with it. He was thrown in too soon. He wasn't ready. And that, that really that stunted his development. And I think that was one of the reasons why he needed the, the change needed to transfer to Arkansas. Um, you know, it, it worked out for everybody. But I, I, my point is that there is a risk in rushing somebody in before they're ready. And I think and that can happen at the NFL, too. It, you know, Carr was one in, with, with Houston. So that would be a concern that I have. Um, I think the fit was good, though. You know, the, the Colts' new coach uh, worked with Jalen Hurts in Philly and, and Justin Herbert and um, – Oh, with the Chargers and their OC helped with with Trevor Lawrence and um, the all, all that type of stuff. So you can see where it's a good fit because that, that staff, those guys have developed young quarterbacks well. Um, so I think they're going to give him a chance to succeed. I just don't know that he's ready yet. Um, and I got I got two more thoughts. Um, I, I'm from Indiana. I grew up a Colts fan. All my friends are Colts fans. So right. when they were you know, leading up to the draft and on draft night, they're like, Matt, what do you think? I'm like, guys, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I wish I had a good answer for you, but I do not know. It's he's either going to go be a perennial perennial pro bowler or he's going to flame out in four years. And I don't think there's an in the middle. So yeah. I, I simply do not know what, what's, what's going to happen with him. And that makes it, that makes it really fascinating um, just because of the high floor, or high ceiling, low floor kind of thing with him. Um, I completely lost my other point, which means it wasn't that important. But oh, uh, I, the other thing—the <laughs> well, the other thing was, um, let's say he starts. Let's say he does well. Okay, uh-huh. let's put on our best case scenario hat for, for Anthony sure. Richardson with the Colts. What does that say about the Gators? That was my question. You, you got Dan Mullen and you got Billy Napier, both of which did not get maybe as much as what the Colts will get out of him. And the theory with the Colts, and a, you know, a good friend Stephen Holder that you know covers yep. them up there, is that they're like, look, if he's not ready as a passer, he might run for 150 and throw for 100, and we're okay with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be done in a traditional sense. He's just so talented and so skilled. Let him go out there and make mistakes. But we know this. He's, he's such a, a dynamic athlete that, that he can figure it out as he goes. And sort of the way Hertz did. Hertz wasn't the greatest passer in the beginning, but he made things happen with his feet. And and now 
You can kind of kind of do both. But what would it? It's a great question, Matt. What what would it say about the the Florida uh, coaches, both those guys, and that they weren't able to to draw out a talent like that while they had them, you know, in on their campus? So it says a couple things. Well, let's talk about that rush for 150, throw for 100 thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because Florida didn't let him do that a lot, or he didn't do that a lot at Florida. So the question That's is true. why. Um, yeah, why? Mm-hmm. So I think some of it's the systems that they wanted to run. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly when you look at last year, uh, the Florida had no depth at quarterback. There there were issues, right? Um Sure. Jack Jack Miller was hurt and sl- kind of slower to come back, so you didn't have a backup that you necessarily trusted a lot. So right. if something had happened to Anthony, you know, God forbid, he would have blown out his knee or something, scrambling for seven yards. Well, <laughs> option number two is not great. So that right. would have been a significant drop and made a, a you know disappointing season even worse for Florida. So, so maybe that would they have protected been- him and encouraged him not to just take off. Is that what you're saying? There was, yes, there was definitely some of that. To, I don't know to what extent, but that was definitely part of it at times. And he was banged up, mm. too. He got hit early in the Kentucky game, where so he, he was a little bit slower after that in terms of feeling ready to yeah. run. So th- there were some legitimate issues there. But the, the mm. larger point is definitely valid. Of what, if he, what does it say if he goes out and, and does fantastic and Florida didn't get enough out of him? You know, they were not, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they were not good in, in passing efficiency. And obviously the, the record wasn't good either. Um, right. and, and it's a larger issue too when you look at last year's Florida team. Um, you know, they had, uh, I think it was six guys drafted and there, there were only 11 teams in the country that had six guys drafted. All of them finished ranked except for Florida. Okay, yeah. so what does that tell you? They had a top five quarterback on a losing team, which is something that hadn't happened since I think it was 1985 or 1986. Mm. They had, a, you know, again, half dozen draft picks, you know, the only one to finish on rank, they finished with a losing record. So what does that tell you? I mean, maybe it was those guys didn't fit into what Napier was doing. Uh, maybe it was a situation where, yes, they had some high-end guys at the top, but they didn't have the depth because of what Napier inherited from from uh, from Dan Mullen. Um, maybe they weren't well coached. Maybe they weren't put into places to succeed. Maybe the coaches were overmatched. Like there's all sorts of different things. And yeah. if some of those guys that are drafted go out and play really well, and Anthony in particular, if he goes out and does what he's capable of starting in year one, that's going to look really really bad for 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 Dan Mullen because uh, he picked other guys over him a couple different times. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be damning for, for Billy Napier. You know, it's there, there's been some talk this offseason, some speculation about him being on the hot seat or whatever. I, I think it's way too soon unless there's a scandal or just an absolute disaster. But I do think Billy needs some wins, obviously, on the field and just little victories along the way to convince Florida fans that this is going to work. Because he's had two recruiting classes that were good but not great. It's six and seven where, yeah, it's, didn't lose to Tennessee by much. Didn't lose to Florida State by much. Didn't lose to LSU by a ton either. But that's not the standard at Florida. So he needs some wins along the way to help kind of convince people the ship is heading in the right direction. And if you know Florida is not very good this uh, on Saturdays this year, which you know over under is I've seen is five and a half wins, which yeah, that's about right. So if that happens and their star quarterback from last year or their former quarterback is now starring in the NFL or doing really well and didn't get a lot out of him last year. That's 
going to raise more questions about the guy they've got in charge. And at the same time, maybe that team in Tallahassee is getting into the national championship picture. The contrast won't be good for Gator fans there either. I think that, you know, and just talking to people around the Colts and, you know, we know, you know, Jim Irsay is the owner there. And maybe this is the NFL in general and why he went so high. The The price of swinging and missing is not nearly as high as letting a talent like that go by and then him becoming Patrick Mahomes. So yep. they would they would rather fail with somebody that had an upside uh, than let him go by and then have to get beat by him year in and year out. And, and I com- no, it totally makes sense, and I completely understand that perspective. I also mm. understand nine of twenty-seven, which was his passing yeah, line against Florida State. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I am glad. I would have taken the money to be the Colts GM. That would have been fine. But I, otherwise, I'm glad that I did not have that job because I, like I, like I told my friends, I don't know. And I hate saying right. I don't know. It doesn't make for great radio or podcasting or, or stories or whatever. But sometimes you have to say I don't know. And with him, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think I actually think that that's where a lot of people sat. But again, business of college football is different than the business of the NFL. Sometimes they can be more patient depending on, you know, you have a new coach coming in there, not expected to, to happily, you know, win the division right off straight away. So we'll see. Anyway, um, read Matt Baker because he's got the latest on the USF's football stadium. We have a price now, $340 million, $200 million debt at five at 0.5% interest uh, interview with the construction company, all of that and some cool stuff about Baker Mayfield's uh, being recruited to Florida Atlantic and coming oh so close maybe to taking that offer. Thanks, Matt. Glad you're back and better than ever, buddy. (laughs) You got it. Thanks, Rick. Always great to catch up with Matt. The Rays will wrap up their series against the New York Mets with an afternoon game day today, and they will uh, fly home and then begin a series over the weekend with the Milwaukee Brewers. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 